Hey you, and welcome back to season two of Rock My Life podcast, the show that brings you LGBTQ plus rugby players from around the world who share their experiences and perceptions of being gay in sport. I'm Christian John, and this is Rock My Life. Yes, welcome back to season two, episode two, and what a lineup we have. You may notice on social media that Rock My Life podcast has been invited by the IGR committee to document their 20th anniversary, and boy, did they have some fantastic events lined up to celebrate. So watch this space for more updates. So yeah, 20 years of IGR doesn't time fly, not that I was in any way part of the launch, as without revealing my age, I would have been about 10 when they were set up. But from going from only a handful of gay and inclusive clubs back then to well over 100 clubs today is a monumental achievement. And I am so, so proud, not only to be part of one of the world's oldest IGR teams, but also honored that IGR have given me this opportunity to share with you and the world their events. So yes, lots of amazing guests coming up, so do not miss out. So now for today's show. This week, I am super excited to be joined by Mr. Dan Howarth from the South London Stags, a relatively new team to the IGR family, but are already getting their antlers stuck into rugby player welfare, which is so important to keeping mental health and well-being positive in any team. As usual, we discuss the ever-growing issues of being gay at a young age and how a perception of sport is so fragile. However, Dan tells us of his story of how he overcame his barriers and found his hooves with the South London Stags and has never felt happier. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dan. Uh, Just for those of you that might not know who Dan is, would you like to introduce yourself? You can say uh, what club you're with, maybe what job you do and your sort of background. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm Dan, uh, Dan Howarth, and I'm the club captain for the South London Stags. Uh, I'm a nurse by trade uh, and by background. Um, I'm a a nurse consultant for a charity based down here in London. Obviously, you might tell from my accent that I'm not a southerner, uh, but I'm from Warrington originally, up there in the mighty northwest of England. Um, And my accent seems to have got stronger as I've been further down south. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I'm the the club captain for the Stags, a nurse by trade, and... um, yeah, just got back really into rugby in the past couple of years, I suppose. Now, obviously, for those people that have been listening to the podcast since the beginning, we are still in lockdown. And how has it been for you being down there with lockdown? Has it affected your job? Has it made it harder or easier? And what about like being with the rugby team? Has it, have you missed being part of the team in terms of being able to go out and play a lot? Yeah, um, yeah work-wise, um, just before... 
the official lockdown came in, we uh, all moved back to our homes. So we all went working from home, which we do kind of sporadically anyway. Um, our charity base is in central London. Uh, and it's a great big office that houses 300 people. So that wasn't a great place to uh, to be minimising the risk of coronavirus problems. So we all went into lockdown. We all worked from home. And the charity I work for, we deal a lot in public health. So during a public health crisis, we've been, I've never been so busy in work whenever. And like as a nurse, I've worked on frontline and it's been horrendous and busy. Um, it's just a very different kind of busy trying to do public health relations, trying to get the right guidance for people with long-term conditions because that's the area that I work in. And yeah, it's been it's totally random. Like I'd never thought, I don't think anyone thinks, oh, one day I might work from home because of a, a pandemic that's hit in the UK. Um, so it's been bizarre with the rugby club yeah the best thing about rugby i'm sure that you'll agree chris is that um is that you get instant mates and your your mate network your social network is just so 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 much broader uh, and yeah. not being able to be around people not being able to go training you know even minimal things like going to the gym with a few of the rugby lads it just didn't happen so it was really isolating um i suppose that's yeah that's the right word for it. isolating from the rest of the guys but thankfully we took part in an awful lot of online stuff i know everybody did everyone hates a zoom quiz these days don't they but <laughs> we um we we set up regular quiz nights which regular quiz nights we also had regular mindfulness sessions so we we, we put on drop in drop out kind of groups for people to come and just just chat you know a place where there's no banter no one takes the piss it's just to talk about what you're struggling with um that was really successful i think and a place to kind of yeah get a little bit of mindfulness um and we put on regular kind of nights so that we'd all be having a few a couple of drinks as rugby boys like to do whilst dancing to kylie in the background um so we did we, we we all kept in touch um which is good. I mean, we're a relatively small-ish uh, club if compared to other London clubs. But um, so we are all very close anyway. So it was quite easy in the end. Um, and I kind of miss it now. I said to uh, my housemate the other day that I miss a Zoom party because it was cheap. No, I totally understand. And uh, I was fortunate enough to join one of your charity Zoom ones. And the organisation was amazing. Um and it was great to see so many of you getting involved and things like that. So I think you were, in terms of, you know, sort of promoting yourselves on, on doing all these Zoom things and, and online things, it, it was very, very noticeable. So I think you did a great job there. And, and I'm sure that your players really appreciated it. And now that we are slowly returning back onto the pitch, um, have you noticed that people have really appreciate just having that time to be together, regardless of what sport it is, but just having that personal contact now? Yeah, ab absolutely. Like yourselves will also know and, and all the, t the teams that might be listening, those first few stages, the return to rugby kind of pathway from the RFU, it, you know, it wasn't the same, was it? You know, the first stage, I think, was you can do training, but you can't share a ball. And that was weird. You can do training and you can pass. And it was a lot of backs work. And, and I'm a, a bit of a forward, so I don't really like all this running and passing that we've been doing. Um, <laughs> But um, we, yeah, we noticed that, that, that people were coming much more for the, 
so that they could see people. And it was hard, you know, not going over and giving people hugs because I think that's what people were imagining that we would be able to do. Um, but just to be able to like wave or touch an elbow with each other, uh, it has been so much more morale boosting and more team forming too. You know, people have been coming, we've all got through this. Some of us have got through this, sadly, some of us obviously haven't. Um, but we've got through this and we're all together now. And although it's different to how it used to be, we're together now and, you know, it's super cheesy, right? but it's like taking each session as it comes, taking each day as it comes. And yeah, it's, it's been nice getting back out onto the field. Nice getting new boots as well. New field, new boots. That's the rule, isn't it? Yeah, every season, everybody seems to be coming out in like these bright fluorescent trainers and <laughs> socks. And you can just tell that it's the beginning of a new season. Yeah, have you seen my, uh, my new boots then, obviously, because they have bright fluorescent orange ones. I was like... If I'm going to be on a field this season, I'm going to uh, be noticed, unlike most seasons. You'll be able to see you in the dark. Yeah, no, yeah. But no, great. And it's good to kind of hear that your team are getting back together and the morale's really being built up. Up here, we, we started off doing um, Touch Rugby and, and that went really well. And like you said, there were a lot of restrictions, but it, it did give people that sort of um, almost freedom. They were kind of allowed to go outside again and, and be with their friends, obviously social distancing and all the um, yeah. sanitizing and things like that. But yeah, it was really good. But I kind of realized that it's amazing how your fitness can sort of deteriorate in just a couple of weeks. I was trying to keep up with it, like doing jogs and running and things like that. And then when the gym's open, getting back into it. But it's a completely different type of fitness or cardio when you're doing like touch rugby and, and things like that, because yeah. you have to kind of stop, start, stop, start. And it's exhausting and you forget how um, tough it can be on your body. But that's what I've appreciated anyway. I can't believe that though, mate. I think you've always had that fitness inside you. You're a super number <laughs> nine, right? They, uh, now, yeah, I totally get what you mean. And there's, let's be honest, there's a lockdown belly or two knocking around. Um, so we've seen an increase in forwards, which is helpful for us. But the... Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. The fitness. I think we've also seen, um, you know, we had a recruitment drive about uh, a month, five weeks ago. We've seen a massive increase in new people to rugby, which is amazing from the LGBTQ communities. Um, and I, I think it's got something to do with the fact that people have been locked down. You know, that they, they see rugby as this open field and hopefully they know that it's a a good laugh which it is and it's, and it's great and it's maybe inspired people to go out and oh, I'm going to do something new because I've been in lockdown for God knows how long but we've definitely seen a, a massive increase on uh, on new members and new interest as well some that maybe not shown up for the first session yet but I, take, I think it takes a bit of guts to do that it always did for me um, so we're hopefully to see <clears throat> over the next few weeks or months that our herd will grow even more So normally in this podcast, I like to delve back into people's past and almost their um, experience of sport when they were younger. Before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to just um, explain how you identify yourself. My pronouns are he uh, and his, uh, and I identify as a gay cisgendered male. Fantastic. Only because uh, in a lot of the podcasts recently, I've had so many different people with different backgrounds. Um, some are straight allies, some are um in more recent ones we've had uh transsexual players as well so it's always in the back of my head there's like oh i need to give yeah. them the opportunity to make sure that everybody knows 
exactly who they are and how they identify themselves. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. So, I, I think I take that for granted as well. So I, you might have heard me stutter a little bit because I was like, oh, what are mine? Because I take it for granted that I don't need to kind of insert one way not tell people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for... But the, same for the same for me, like, been talking to so many different people, it kind of made me more aware that actually it's almost like a social norm to kind of just assume. Yeah. But then it's breaking that habit and making sure that you are, you know, recognizing people for who they identify themselves as. And it's a great time that people can feel confident enough to do that. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of not negative barriers, but just need to remind people that, you know, not everybody is as blatant as you might first assume. Yeah. Yeah. And we can make, yeah, make so, mistakes as well. You know, we can presume and we make mistakes. It's okay to say, forgot to ask. What is your pronouns? What? How do you identify? Like, so you go back to when you were younger, and what age group sort of were you when you decided that things were starting to feel a bit different? That you started to have sort of different sexual feelings, and what was kind of, what was going on in your life during that time? Um, <clears throat> it's a very, very, very long time now, mate. I'm afraid, and I'm that old <laughs> that I uh, I think I've forgotten it. No, um, yeah, I always knew. Um, that I was different, I suppose, and that sounds a cliche, but I certainly did. Um, I definitely looked at boys differently when I was a boy. Um, like right at the start of um, high school to the end of primary school, even, um, I definitely knew I was different. I'm from a, a white middle-class village in leafy Cheshire, um, and we didn't have anyone that wasn't white and normal do you know what i mean um we we didn't have gay people or anything so i didn't even know that i was gay until you know i kind of really grew up and i, I tried to convert myself i didn't want to be i didn't think it was right for me to be so i did try and convert myself by trying to pretend to have girlfriends or try to pretend to be attractive to women but it was always obviously uh, never right and i actually because of my upbringing and not to say that it was a bad upbringing but my dad was uh, in the military um you know he would we'd look back and probably say it's casual homophobia but he was still homophobic he would you know there's too many puffs on telly and stuff like that um so i always thought that the way to be manly was to be sexist misogynistic and homophobic and that's how i thought i had to be and then when i went to university i kind of started to realize who i need to be because it was tough living a lie um and yeah so i was at university when i came out so i was 21 uh, i just finished university and and i always tell people that i you know my parents are wonderful wonderful parents and they helped me through university and i genuinely thought that when i came out they would uh, disown me so i will take them for the money that they're paying for my university tuition um, but because they're going to disown me, that's all right. And thankfully, they, they never did at all. They've been, you know, they questioned and were like, are you sure? And all this. And in fairness, my mum asked a very delving question. She said, does it hurt? And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? If my mum's going to ask me this while we're having pasta in ZZ, um, I'm going to tell her the truth. Um, so, so we've been quite. You know, it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to um, 
yeah, so I spoke to her. She spoke to my my brother and said, like, what do we do about it? As if there's some kind of cure. And thankfully, my brother and sister said, you know, we support him and we we love him because that's who he is, which is quite wonderful. Um, and yeah, they've been totally, my family have always known since, thankfully, and have always been very supportive. My mum's still, my mum's a little old lady and she still sometimes refers or has referred to people as my friend. Um but she accepts them. They're my friend, just the friend that I share a bed with. Um, yeah, so that's really when I started to. And I'm, I'm, I mentioned at the start, I'm from Warrington. I'm from this leafy little little village in Warrington called Lim. Um, and we are quite a rugby-centred village. So that I looked at rugby players at my school and in my village. They were the big jocks. Super, super stereotypical here. I'm sure, you know, everyone's heard this story thousands of times, but they were different. <clears throat> they were big. They were good looking. They were all hot, obviously. And I knew that I, I wanted to be like them because I was really into rugby. I loved it. But I also knew I was different and I couldn't play in my team my school team, you know, after third year, I think, you know, after a late puberty person, um, because I was too scared of them figuring out who I was. And I knew that that wouldn't be accepted, which is a shame. Uh, so I kind of ditched the rugby and sport stuff and became a bit of a nerd, and um, <clears throat> which apparently is cool these days, but it wasn't back in when I was at school. Uh, then when I went to university, I kind of went back into rugby a little bit and played sporadically but didn't didn't really put too much effort into it because again I was I was trying to mask myself I was trying to fit in with rugby lads straight rugby lads who would be talking about tits and stuff and I'd be like oh, yeah great but secretly thinking get your shirt off will you um, <laughs> but then yeah I, I've moved I've moved away um, I actually moved Back. I went to university in Sheffield. I moved back to Manchester in 2005 or something and, and went along to a few Spartans trainings. But I was still in a little bit uncomfortable with myself. And it was, it was truthfully um, quite intimidating being around, um, you know, a load of big rugby guys who were also gay or, or whatever they were. Um, and I was quite fearful of that. So I went back to playing in non IGR kind of teams and went went that way and just kept myself hidden a little bit. And I just want to point out, it's not that the Spartans weren't welcoming. Far from it. They were all wonderful people and they still are to this very day. No, it's great that you just dropped that at the yeah. end. But no, I, I, I do agree with you. It, it's in some, For some people that don't necessarily have that sort of background of being in big groups of, of gay people and things like that, it, it can be very intimidating. And Everybody, in, in, no matter what team you're in, if you are in an IGR team, you do have to have that in the back of your head that, you know, you, if you're in the team, you're very much in the team. And for somebody just joining, you have to remember what it's like. It's, it's very daunting, very, it can be very intimidating. But I think for a lot of teams, you just need to make sure that the first people that they encounter are people that will include them all the time yeah. and things like that. So it is very difficult Um for some people seem to go into these clubs with like rose tinted glasses and think, oh, it's good. everyone's going to accept me. Everyone, everyone's going to be my friend. And you got to remember that not everybody in the world is your friend. And you, there will be, be people that you think, oh, they're, they're a bit too much or that 
you know, too quiet. I, I need to find the people who are just right for me. So I think as clubs get bigger, you will find that even though they will all support each other and everybody's got their backs, you will find like small groups of friends within a bigger club. You just draw to people that are very much like yourselves. I was going to say, I totally, totally, totally agree. And I think that's, you know, in, in other... So I moved um, to New Zealand and in fact, the, the Falcons were the first... The New Zealand Falcons were the first IGR team that I really joined, um, like actually paid up to join and, and did things with them um, due to an injury. I didn't play much with them. And I'd also joined or, or went along to other non-IGR, not non-IGR teams. Um, and I think in, in New Zealand, first of all, their rugby is slightly different. Um, they have different words for different positions, which I didn't understand, but their rugby, their, their gameplay is, is obviously different too. Um, and also in Auckland, we had, it was, a bit more acceptable that you know a, a gay fella could be part of a non-IGR club and that would be totally totally fine so I, I played a bit down there but the, that's the Falcons were the ones that really made me realise the the benefit of IGR teams that you've got instant mates that you know after training it's like right we'll all go down to the local gay club and stuff like that and that's what I would be doing anyway but this way I'm doing it with a whole new set of friends so um I played for um, a while with them and my first real um, inspiring coach, if you don't mind me mentioning him, the coach, his name was Ray Pye and he played for almost hundreds of years, I think. He won't mind me saying that. Um, but he was also uh, a gay man married to uh, another gay man, coincidentally. Um, and you know, to see him, who's lived his whole life playing rugby, as a gay man, and he, there was no such thing as IGR when he started playing rugby, but he's always kind of pushed through with himself. It was quite inspiring. So a little shout out to him. And then I moved a few years past, and I moved back to Manchester, joined the Spartans for a season, and then moved down to, to, to London and retired. And then saw the Stags had set up and thought, go on, I'll just have one more crack at this. And, uh, and here we are today. So that was a brief whistle-toss of my tour of life, mate. You mentioned that you started doing rugby when you were in your high school, but leaving the team, how did that make you feel? Um, it's a very long time ago now, mate. We were using chalk and slate for writing lessons, so <laughs> we how did it make me feel? I think. Because I knew that I was the one that was moving away from it. It wasn't really them that did anything. In hindsight, it was, it was my own insecurities uh, and my own, well, it was their behavior, you know, because, you know, back then we were all, everyone was referring to gay as being, oh, that's so gay, or you, you faggots and stuff like that. And that was very much schoolyard talk. So they would be all saying this and I'd, deep down know that they were talking to me, but I would also perpetuate it. I would also say, yeah, look at him, furry. Um, not that I was particularly butch or anything like that, but I tried, I wanted to be. Uh, knowing that I wasn't actually one of them made me feel it's, it's right to move away and to do amateur dramatics instead. Um, and that's actually what I did. So I, I moved out of the, the rugby scene and, and went into the theatre group at school and stuff, which saying it out loud now, it sounds pretty stereotypical and stuff, but it was, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, 
I don't think I, I think I've looked at rugby players and I, I will talk I tell this to many people is that you look at rugby players and you see them as if I'm allowed to say swear words but rugby wankers you know they're, they're out there they're being all macho and they're being all kind of rah 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 and that was one of the barriers for me to play rugby because <clears throat> I wasn't I was wanting to listen to Kylie while they were all listening to you know R&B and stuff like that whatever it was in the 90s um <clears throat> So I wasn't one of them. And I think nowadays, like transferring that into the modern world is being aware that people could potentially see me as my behaviour as being a bit of a barrier to, to new people, to anyone else. But being aware that we can alter that in order to include people, um, I think it's really important. Absolutely. And I think that's the, the good thing about the IGR is that they are constantly trying to break down these stereotypes. And when you do go and play against these other IGR teams, especially that there is a massive spectrum of ability, fitness, backgrounds, you know, ethnicity, religion, whatever, you name it, there is a, a broad spectrum and there, there isn't a one size fits all. And it's great to see that they are trying to make people a lot more accepting to come into the, a sport like this, that anybody can do it. You, you don't have to be the fastest. You don't, don't necessarily are the slowest. Um, you don't have to be the thinnest, the strongest. There will be a position for you. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I've listened to a lot of people go on about, about this sort of the stereotype that was the big barrier for them. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Totally. There is, it's, I think it's been a hashtag for a bit, but everybody has a rugby body and everybody <clears throat> should be included in, in rugby. And if we're going to be inclusive, which, I believe that most of us are, but we have to be inclusive of everybody, regardless of, you know, I don't like them because they vote this way politically or they've got this opinion about something that differs to mine. That's inclusion. It's not everybody thinks the same way and acts the same way and looks the same way as me. The complete opposite. We welcome and we should welcome everybody, regardless of, of their beliefs and or, or whatever, really. Yeah, I think that, you know, even if people don't want to wear the, the typical rugby tie and the white shirt because it gives them weird feelings about being in school, which I've heard before, then that's absolutely fine. Don't wear a white tie and don't wear a white shirt and a tie if it's bad for you, if you don't want to. We include you regardless of that. And being part of our club isn't the tie and the shirt. It's not the, the being able to school pints and Jaeger bombs and stuff like that. It's it's being welcoming and being inclusive and allowing people who probably haven't had that opportunity before to get into rugby, which is the game that we all absolutely love and adore. Absolutely. And it's funny how you mentioned about people not wanting to wear the tie. I mean, I, I hate wearing our tie. Not that because it looks wrong or anything like that, but a, you've just come out of the showers, so you're like quite, still quite sweaty because it's hot, and and then you have to put a shirt and tie on, and I'm like, oh no, I just don't want to do that. I have to wear that for work, so I'd, I'd rather just wear like the polo tops or things like that. But you've got nice polo tops, haven't you up there? Come I was on. just going to say, I, I quite like, I love like wearing a shirt and tie a lot. I would wear one out like if it was for any occasion, I'd wear a shirt and tie. So I, I quite like it, but I totally also understand how it can be a barrier. Um, and I think as long as we recognise that the, the traditional way of doing rugby things, and we often hear people say, uh, you know, even in the stags, I've heard people say, but 
this is how we do it in rugby. This is a rugby tradition. We've got to remember that rugby has been a barrier. There's been barriers and maybe the traditions are barriers. So let's not necessarily, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to do a, a hazing or an initiation thing for new members. You don't have to all wear blazers and, and caps and call the chairperson, sir. You know, let's get over all that. Let's just welcome people to rugby. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think when you mentioned initiations, I think that's probably one of the major barriers for some people. I remember probably like yourself going to the uni rugby teams and the initiations there were vile. Like yeah. it, like you said, it was very much like, you know, sort of focusing on women all the time and, and almost being perverted to some extent. But then the things you had to drink or the challenges you had to do were just so barbaric it was very much a, a barrier for me. And that's why I stopped um, doing rugby in, in uni anyway and decided to go to the rowing team instead, which um, was great because they were just, there was no initiation. They just accepted anybody. Um, but when you, with you, when you were in the uni rugby team, did you come across any homophobia, even in sort of the mildest form? Because I know that's when you decided to come out and be a bit more open about your sexuality. Uh, yeah, well, I only went to the the kind of first, in my first year, I went along to their training. They were taking kind of experienced and newbie people. And to be honest, I didn't have the experience of being anywhere decent. You know, some of these people went off to play for England and stuff. So um, <clears throat> I wouldn't have ever said, you know, I, I don't profess to have played rugby at uni. I went to their trainings and stuff and went because they all got on it at the end. Um, and that's what I wanted. The hard thing was that I was still in the closet. I mean, I was doing a, a course in nursing and I think back then it was still quite a effeminate job. Um, so I think it was kind of obvious, really. Um, but there was, yeah, there was definitely, absolutely homophobia in there, like a casual homophobia. Honestly, if I'd have told them that I was gay, I think that they would have been all right with it. Um, but there... It's interesting you say about that initiation stuff is is while they're all sat there going, oh, look, uh, yeah, let's go find the netball team. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was also a lot of kind of um, homoerotic stuff going on. You know, that they, that was okay. unbelievably kind of, uh, you know, passing drinks in, in, in people's mouths, essentially kissing each other while she passed a, um, what was the red thing, aftershock? Passing an aftershock around each other's mouth. I mean, you couldn't do it during a pandemic, but, you know, that still happened. <laughs> um, yeah, that kind of stuff. And it was, truthfully, I looked at it and thought, well, this is quite hot, actually. And I couldn't take part in it because I didn't want them to know that I was thinking that this was really hot. Um, so, yeah, that's why I kind of, I stopped going. I mean, I did, knowing I was nursing, I was also a member of, um, like, the First Aid Society, the St. John Ambulance. So I, I, I went along to rugby as in a first aid kind of, perspective uh so that's how i kind of still maintain the rugby but yeah when you moved down to london how did you find out about the sacks because obviously a lot of people when the sacks started they were very aware of the king's cross dealers so why did you choose the stags some might say that i didn't choose the stags but the stags chose me which is nice. The Steelers are great. They've been obviously around forever. Um, they're the first 
gay rugby team and we should always be thankful for them for doing that. Um, they're absolutely huge. They're incredibly, incredibly good at rugby. Um, but for me, I felt that I, I like a smaller club. What I like is having a smaller amount of people so I can get to know people. Now that isn't, I'm not criticising the Steelers about that. I know we've got very good friends who are Steelers and absolutely love it. And I think that they are great. I just like a smaller club. It's always a challenge. Um, I was speaking to our chairman a couple of weeks ago about it because in the Northwest, up until three, four years ago, the Spartans were kind of the only gay rugby team in that area. And we got very, very big at one point to the point where we were like, can we actually cope with this? Because, you know, we, we have funding available. We have sponsorship and things like that. But as you get bigger, you know, the, the sort of the needs um, almost outweigh the, the sort of funding that's available. And we were worried that the quality of player, the quality of coaching and things like that would deteriorate. And when these smaller clubs started, like uh, Liverpool and then Chester and, and the uh, Lancashire Typhoons, there were some people who were like, oh, well, we're going to lose a lot of people and then we'll lose all the players. But actually, it meant that people didn't have to travel so far and they could create their own little communities. And then we actually had more teams to go and play with. So I do completely understand that some people want to be part of like the big team, the famous team and things like that. But then quite a lot of people think, no, I'd quite like to kind of develop an identity with a local team that's smaller. And I wouldn't say that anything you said there was uh, negative or criticising the Steelers. They are a, a fantastic team. And like you said, they were they led the way and they still do. Um, and I know quite a few people that are in the Steelers and they, they are in lots of different teams. And every time we play them, they're really welcoming. They're very chatty. They will um, support us as we support them. So no, nothing you said was was negative at all. Good. I, I suppose that I moved to London and I was like, I'm a bit old now. My nickname that was given to me by some of the Spartans was Nana. And that nickname seems to have carried on into the Stags um, because I liked, <laughs> I like a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> I like my slippers. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to retire almost. Um, but then I also very, very, very much missed the camaraderie the groups, the social network. Um, and it was just by coincidence that I saw Stags on Instagram, I think it was. Uh, and I live in Southwest London. And I thought the South London Stags, give them a go. And I went along. And at the time that I went, there was six people at training. So we had, you know, a, a three versus three touch session. And then we went to the pub. And then we all were in a in a WhatsApp group together and we met again and it started getting bigger and bigger. And then there was there was an interim committee for a period that then we had a full-blown, you know, it just evolved and snowballed into what we are kind of now. And we are still very new. You know, it's our, we are entering into our potentially second season, COVID-dependent. Um, and there's a lot of growth in this club and it's really, really nice being part of that, helping that to to grow. So if I went to the Steelers, and I'd have probably played a little bit of rugby and stuff, but the Steelers are where they are now. And potentially in 25 years' time, the Stags will look back and, I don't know, maybe someone will say, hey, do you remember that fella called Nana? What happened to her? Um, I don't know, but that's not why I, I do it. It's just, it's it's much easier to get to, you know, from where I am, where I live, Um but uh, yeah, the, the stags have co are coming on so 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 
strongly. It's a really nice thing to see. And I think that we are, as the club captain, genuinely not blowing smoke up anyone's ass or anything, but I'm really excited about this forthcoming season. I think we've got real potential. You know, we've, we've talked about growth and newbies and, and stuff like that. And we have got comparable numbers to, well, our the other non-IGR teams around us don't have the numbers that we have. And I think that that's, that's definitely says there's room for two IGR clubs in London. It's a very big city. Um, so why not? And we do have, you know, we have a little bit of friendly rivalry, I suppose, with, uh, with the Steelers. But there's absolutely, you know, there's no love loss. We are all friends. It, it's, uh, it's inclusive rugby that wins at the end of the day. Having said that, we did beat them in January this year. So I'm just going to say that, all right? Obviously. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that was our first, um, our first win, actually. Um, so we didn't, last year, we weren't part of a, a league. We just played friendlies as we were still growing and finding our, our feet or our hooves, if we're stags. Um, <laughs> we, um, yeah, so we, we played uh, against the developing team um, and had a really great day. It was really close. We were really well pitted against each other and we got it just by the very, very, very last minute on a conversion. So it was even more rewarding. And then we all got together, everyone had drinks, and it was an, an amazing day. And it, it's cheesy, but yeah, inclusive rugby won that day. Um, but the scoreline said us. But this season, you know, now we've got, uh, we, we're moving into something that I think the, the Spartans did really well of moving into a touch focus as well as a union focus. So we've, we've signed up um, to the Southern League for the IGR, um, as and when that happens. Um, but we also know that really in, to really embrace inclusivity, having a touch side, because it welcomes all genders, we're also going to go that, that way as well. And, and for the older people like me who don't want to get injured all the time, touch rugby is a great way of still being part of the club and getting out there. So I understand that within the stag, so you've developed um, a real focus on welfare. So would you want to again have this time to explain what you've done in terms of welfare um, and how you're trying to project it into the coming season? Yeah, absolutely. We've the, the stags have always had a um, welfare really at the heart of what they do. You know, they we we were set up um, with very much inclusivity, but also in kindness. We. You know, we we have moved into this coming year. So last year we had, um, as I think most other clubs, we've had welfare officers. Um, and this year we, we've evolved welfare because welfare is something I think some clubs maybe just do it as a tick box. Some clubs really put their effort into it. But I think our new welfare strategy, our approach to welfare, I, I've never kind of seen it in any of the clubs that I've known so I'm super super proud of the stags for this and our, our, our strategy really is it's about making sure that welfare is everybody's responsibility and that's ultimately the tagline we've the problem or the barrier with having welfare officers is if you aren't great mates with that person or you don't feel comfortable going to that person to tell them that you're struggling with 
coming to training or you're struggling, you know, your partner and you are having problems, any welfare issues, if you don't feel comfortable going to the welfare officer, where do you go to? Well, you probably go to your mates. What do your mates do? They'll talk to you. They'll do what mates do. But they may not see that as being part of looking after the, the herd welfare of, of everyone. So really, we're embracing that this, this year. Um, we will be appointing a welfare lead, and that person will organise events um, and get-togethers that allow us to upskill our members to enable us to, to really, really care for each other. So we're going to help everyone help everyone. Um, we'll be signposting a lot more to other organisations and charities who might be able to help. We'll be linking in with other charities particularly in the lgbtq charities um about support and well-being but all with the interest that everyone can go to everyone and that is like we always refer to rugby clubs i'm sure the spartans do um as a family and we are a family you may not like your brother this week but you'll go to speak to him about some problems or you you may not have seen your sister for 10 years but your sister will probably still have your back. And that's the thing that we're trying to emphasise and really, really push forward. We've worked um, and we spoke with the, the people at Looseheads who are all about in, in raising awareness of mental health through rugby. Um, and they support our, our approach wholeheartedly. So hopefully we'll be doing things with them in, in the coming future. But yeah, we're, we're making sure that everyone is supported to look after everyone which is what a real family should be doing. Uh, and I'm really, really excited and proud to be part of that. Absolutely. And recently you've just had your AGM and you were awarded to be club captain. Is that right? For their sins. Yes, for their sins. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, last year I um, was part of the welfare team. Um, but this year decided oh, this might be my last year. Um, I'm getting very old and a bit knackered. Uh, and I thought that I'd really, I, I feel that the skills, the ability of a, of a club captain, it isn't really just about being the one that gets the, the picture in so that everyone can scull a pint after a match. It's really about bringing people with you on that journey throughout the season. Um, and it's about, I, I think, being a role model. And I like to think that the work that I do within the club and you know, volunteering outside within the wider community is is something that a lot of people are interested in. So, being there to be a role model, to be a mentor to a lot of the new people, um, it's been a real, it's a real passion of mine. But it's also something I'm really, really proud of. Um, so yeah, so I was voted in as club captain this year. I'd say I've got big boots to fill, but the last club captain, uh, he's got very small feet, so. I'm all right. <laughs> Everything that you've learned in terms of welfare, do you feel that IGR are leading the way with this welfare? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that we, we put a, a bit too much of an emphasis on the idea of, of people doing welfare. I think it comes a lot naturally to a lot of people. Welfare is about making sure that whatever, pe whatever is, people are struggling with, be that on the field or off the field, um, is, is addressed uh, and sorted out. There's two sides. Our, our strategy says that there's two sides. You've got the pitch side welfare, which is first aid, hydration, health and safety, um, which is run by our team manager. And then we've got the emotional well-being. So this, this emotional well-being in rugby as a whole, I think, is, is really spoken about quite a lot. Um, you know, there's so many other 
podcasts, you know, then James Haskell does that uh, House of Rugby podcast, I think it's called now. Um, he yeah. talks, everyone talks about mental health in rugby and emotional well-being. And rugby is really, really strong on that. I don't think, I wouldn't say that IGR is leading the way. What I do think IGR does is that it challenges the old ways. It challenges those old guys in their blazers sat at the bar drinking pints with handles um, and says that there's a new way of doing things. There's an inclusive way of doing things. Again, the, the toxic masculinity of rugby suggests that people may in a rugby team may not want to talk about the fact that they've found a lump in one of their testicles, or they may not want to talk about the fact that their, their partner, be it female or male or whatever, is beating them, or they feel that they're being abused. Now, these are super serious issues, obviously, and they don't want to talk about it with their teammates, but we are a family, not just teammates, and they, they should be able to. So I think IGR suggests to the rest of the rugby world do something different because there's another way of doing it. And I, from what I've seen, there's the, the non-IGR clubs that we've worked with in South London, they embrace that as well. You know, they see what we do and how we are as a team and want to mimic it. Um, so that's, again, we're really proud of that too. But they, they also know that, that things can be done differently. Let's, 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 let's the whole rugby world move away from those old grey-haired men in blazers and just be rugby. Is this something that's kind of come about since your recent AGM, or is it something that you've tried to build on over the past couple of seasons? I think we our, our welfare approach was uh, last year was a standard kind of rugby club welfare approach, um, and, and and truthfully, you know, we we got feedback from that, um, and the feedback that came into me as part of the welfare team was that people didn't recognise when they were getting welfare, if that makes sense. People didn't recognise where that they were being supported because it wasn't done by the welfare officer. Um, and so because of that, um, the, 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 the new committee uh, and I thought about what's the best way of doing welfare. We want to continue to do it really well. Let's take the feedback in and let's see it. And, you know, we, I think at one planning meeting we said, it should be like health and safety. It's everybody's responsibility. And then that was a bit of an epiphany for me and thought, yeah, that's, that's how we should do it. Um, but what are the barriers to that? Well, people might not understand how to do it. People might be scared of doing it. People might not recognize that they do it. So let's talk about it. Um, and, and that's really where this, this strategy came from. The new committee were very, uh, very, very um, proud of it. And have put a lot of time into it to develop it. So it's, I think it's going to be quite an exciting and do you know what, if it's, if it's wrong next year, we'll do something different. It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes, isn't it? It's okay to, to, to rethink what you've been doing. So uh, yeah, but I, th I think I'm excited for it. I think it will be good. I hope it's embraced. Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel that people, when they, if somebody did have a problem, I'm just thinking, not to be critical at all, no. but in my team, for example, if I had a certain issue, then we do have a welfare officer. But I probably feel more comfortable talking about it with my friend, and then they might be able to suggest going to speak to that person. And like you're saying, having a whole team approach to it, 
would be really good so you would be able to talk to just anybody and they would know the channels and things like that and the support networks and things would you feel that there is still like a key leader within your team that would still be the main person for that person to bring themselves attention to or are you still very everybody knows all the different channels that's that's the absolute thing i mean it's a really good question i think it's a really good challenge that we've had to think about um Having that one person, and you know, you're right. Let's use your uh, analogy there. If you've got a problem, you're going to speak to your mates and they might say, have a word with Pete over there because he's the welfare officer. But your mates will probably potentially be better at talking to you and a one-to-one about what you're going through and how you're struggling and give you advice and signpost you to other places. And so it's making sure that your mates know exactly what the welfare officer would do. So ultimately, every player is a welfare officer. They just haven't got that title. There is, as you say, having one person who, we see that as a facilitator, really, having one person who's leading on this strategy will enable, make sure that everybody knows what to do as a welfare officer and knows where to signpost people as a welfare officer. And we will be training people, upskilling people. You know, it's no formal training, but you know, we'll be hopefully having um, sessions, get-together sessions about how to really listen to people, um, how to, you know, potentially motivational interviewing with people. And it all sounds fancy, but it's what a lot of us do anyway. Um, and yeah, and, and, and providing people a network to come together and, and talk about what they're doing. So I, I totally get the challenge of isn't it better to have one person but equally the kind of other challenge is what if that one person isn't the right person it's making sure that everyone's the right person for whatever the need is or for whatever your problem is because it's a a fantastic opportunity that you're doing and i'm sure it will be really successful and it really sounds like you're really trying to put all the players first which is which is brilliant thinking about um you as a younger person and everything that you've learned so far if you could go back and meet your younger person, what words of wisdom would you give to yourself? Ooh, you could get me quite emotional here, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, as I would tell my younger self um, to be me. To, to Masculinity isn't what I think it is. As a, as a child, as a, gr- a teenager, I thought being, being all burly and kind of, yeah, sexist, homophobic and misogynistic that isn't what makes a man. What makes a man, young Daniel, um, is love and embrace, embracing of others, regardless of their similarities or differences. Um, that's a, absolutely what I would genuinely tell myself. Yeah, if you want to be a man, don't worry about what every other man does. Um, and equally, to uh, if, if I hadn't have known how I would turn now, um, I might have said, be who you want to be. Be Don't have to be the same kind of man that you think your dad wants you to be. <laughs> Even on the pitch. Absolutely, yeah. Always. For, for anyone in South, South London or, or further afield, come along, get in touch with us on our social media channels and join the herd. And finally, what I want to give you the opportunity to do, um, if there are listeners who are thinking, you know, I'm in the area of London, I want to give this a go, what's the best thing for them to do in order to get in contact? Lovely. We would absolutely welcome people wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, we train on Saturdays um, in Morden. If you find us on um, 
If you find us on Instagram at South London Stags RFC or Facebook, South London Stags RFC, um, and get in touch with us there, our social officer will be back in touch with you and we'll send you some sign-up sheets and, and stuff like that. But I would totally ask anyone who's, you know, people that are listening to this because they like rugby and they might be LGBT, really give us a go. Come along. They won't be disappointed. Everybody is always, always welcome. Um, and we're at a really, really exciting part of the Stag's journey already. So come along um, and look out for me. I'm the one with the cup of tea and the slippers. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's show, but a massive thank you for Dan for sharing his insightful story and telling us all about their amazing project with Welfare in the team. I hope it has a massive success this season and for the future. Also, don't forget to give them a like and a follow on Instagram, Facebook and all other platforms on social media. And if you are living in that area and fancy a go, make sure to drop them a message and get involved. Like always, if you want to get involved, share your story or team achievements, or just tell us why you enjoy being part of IGR, please get in contact as I would love to hear from you and get your story heard. Simply like and follow and either comment or DM on Instagram or email us at info at rockmylifepodcast.com. Well, thanks again for tuning in for another episode of Rock My Life Podcast. It has been an amazing opportunity to share this story and I cannot wait for next week's episode either. As always, make sure you tune in and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to get all our regular updates, especially about the IGR anniversary events coming up soon. I've been Christian John and this is Rock My Life.